Welcome to the latest edition of our Fixed Interest podcast series. My name's Tony Stringer, and I'm a Managing Director in Fitch's Global Sovereigns Group. I'm joined today by Brian Corden, our Chief Economist and Lead Author of a recent report on US bond yields. Brian, thanks for joining me. In recent weeks, financial markets seem to have become quite heavily fixated on the interplay between inflation risks, US bond yields, and potential monetary policy moves by the Fed. Can you explain to us what markets are worried about? And are they right to be? Thanks, Tony. Um, I think what's been going on this year in bond markets has really been a reassessment of the lower for longer paradigm on US interest rates. And that reassessment is happening in light of the huge US fiscal stimulus and the rapid rebound in the economy that we're now seeing in front of us with our forecast of growth nearly 6.5% this year. Uh, if you look at the increase in US 10-year bond yields since the turn of the year, they've gone up about 70 basis points. 60 basis points of that is reflecting higher medium to long-term inflation expectations uh, in, the, in the financial markets. If you look at the break-even inflation rates derived from inflation indexed, uh, in index securities. Now, even before the pandemic, there was kind of a view that was pretty entrenched that inflation would never really return as a problem. Uh, and the COVID recession, I think, really sort of cemented that view amongst a lot of investors. But it's been very swiftly undone in 2021. We've seen inflation expectations are now back up to 2.6, 2.7 on the 10-year. That's the highest rates we've seen since before the global financial crisis. And as this view of medium to long-term inflation risk has changed, the markets have come to price in an earlier withdrawal of stimulus from the Fed, such that the futures markets are now pricing in interest rate hikes uh, ne next year. Now, in terms of our view on this, we were always a bit sceptical of the lower for longer view, as, as, as you know. But that said, we still believe that the Fed has probably uh, got to be taken on its word. It's, it's, got, it's going to hang on quite a bit longer, we think, before, before raising rates. So we, we don't see the Fed raising rates uh, next year. You know, a, a readjustment of yields over the medium term is, is definitely something that, that hasn't surprised us that much. OK, you, you pointed out in the report that since 2000, there's been a sustained decline in the term premium. That's the additional return that investors demand to hold longer duration bonds. And that's caused a breakdown of the traditional relationship between 10-year yields and the Fed funds policy rate. Do you think this is a secular trend or do you expect that relationship to be re-established through the next cycle as policy rates eventually do move higher? Yeah, there's, there's really no clear agreement on exactly what drove nominal and real interest rates lower since 2000. But I, I think there is a little bit of a consensus that one of the, uh, one of the key areas has been this increasing premium on treasuries and other, other government bonds as a, as a safe asset. And I think that's been caused by regulatory changes, which have improved the attractiveness of treasuries relative to other assets, you know, regardless of their, of, their, of their yields, and the value of treasuries as a, as a risk, as a hedge against equity risk. So I think that safe asset premium has been a big part of the story, and it's risen over the last 20 years. Now, I don't see that being reversed, but neither do I see that being uh, becoming more intense through the next cycle. So I don't see another wave of yield compression coming, coming from this. And then against that 
backdrop, I think you also have to remember that the, the decline in the term premium also reflected a couple of factors that may be not quite so permanent. So part of it's been about QE and the, uh, you know, we're now in, in QE4 through, through the pandemic from, from the Fed. I think that that buying by the central banks, not just the Fed, the ECB, Bank of England, Bank of Japan, you know, has lowered yields relative to interest rate expectations. But of course, if we're, if we're moving into a higher inflation world, you know, that, that may not be permanent. The, the other factor related to this, of course, is that I think the markets in this lower for longer view had come to view that the future volatility of interest rates was kind of curtailed because central banks were effectively stuck at the zero lower bound on interest rates. And, uh, and so you didn't have to worry about interest rate volatility because they, they just couldn't move below zero. Similar to the the QE story, really, if, if, we're, if we're moving back into a world where inflation is something that the markets need to worry about and the future volatility of inflation is something that the markets need to worry about, then you could see some upward pressure on, on the term premium. And indeed, when we wrote uh, the bond yield report back in February, you know, we said at that point that the, the term premium was, was incredibly low by historical standards. And indeed, what we've seen since then is that it's moved back up quite substantially. So, you know, I, I think I think part of that is because of this reassessment of the medium term uh, inflation risk, as well as the increase in inflation expectations. Right. So there was a big jump in US CPI inflation last week. What, what did you make of that? And does it provide any substance to the theory the asset purchase tapering and then rate hikes might need to start somewhat sooner than we're anticipating. Well, it certainly does add, add substance. Um, I mean, we always expected quite a big jump in year-on-year -year headline and core inflation um, in, in April. And that was partly because of the base effects of the, of the, of the shock to, to price levels last April at the peak of the pandemic crisis. The surprise in the numbers that we saw last week was the big jump in month-on-month -month core inflation to 0.9% in April. That was uh, quite some way above our and the market expectations. Now, when we dug into these numbers, there were two sort of distinct drivers behind that rise in the month-on-month -month core inflation rate. On the good side, um, I think it's everything that, you know, that's been front page of the newspapers the last Three, four, five, six weeks has been has been the supply chain uh, disruptions, in particular semiconductor chip shortage, which has come against the context of a massive increase in auto demand in the U.S. Uh, in the first quarter of the year, coinciding with it with a reduction in supply because of the of the chip shortage. So those supply chain pressures have been more intense and are proving to be more durable than than we were thinking. You know, back back in March, for instance, at the time of the last GEO. The other aspect of this, uh, this number that was a surprise was the pickup in service sector uh, core inflation on a month-on-month -month basis. But again, if you dig deep into the numbers, perhaps the picture is not quite as worrying as it looks at first sight, because most of the increase in core services inflation in April was about hotel rates and airfares reverting back to pre-pandemic levels as the economy uh, reopened. If you strip hotels and airfares out of the services sector, the underlying uh, position was still, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty low, uh, low inflation rates. So, kind of all adds up to our view that a lot of what we're seeing is really, you know, temporary pressures on uh, prices, uh, uh, reflecting the speed of the recovery in goods demand, which has taken most people by surprise, and the reopening of the services sector. We would expect on the good side over time, it's going to take longer than we thought, but over time, you'd expect the supply side to respond. 
uh, you would see more capacity come on stream and those pressures should start to ease. Um, you know, maybe it may not be for, for six months or so, but we would see some easing on the core goods side. And so we're not really seeing, when we dig deep into the service side, strong underlying pressures there. Now, there's lots of talk as well about uh, labour shortages and pressure on, on wages in specific sectors that are reopening, the leisure and hospitality sector. But our assessment is that there's still quite a lot of uh, slack in the labour market. Some of that's hidden because participation rates are still compressed by the pandemic. But if the vaccine rollout proceeds and we do get the reopening, you should see labour supply uh, start to return. So our view is that there's still quite a long way to go before we're going to be seeing sort of macro level pressures on wages uh, in, in the labour market. And I think, crucially, the Fed also sees it that way. Uh, and and not, not only does that seem to be their assessment when we've heard Fed officials speak after the CPI number, but also, of course, you've got to remember the Fed is, is, is more tolerant now of higher inflation. This change in their regime last August uh, to an average inflation targeting regime means that you know they're quite happy to see a CPI inflation at two and three quarter, three percent for, for a while. I mean, they, they want PCE inflation, which is their target, to average two and a half percent because it's only been averaging one and a half percent over the last five uh, five years or so. So CPI inflation generally runs 0.3, 0.4 ahead of PCE. So I don't think the Fed is is going to respond to this, but obviously, you know, this is a, this is this is a bigger risk than uh, than we thought it was uh, three months ago. Okay. So it's clear that you currently take a bit of a different view to some market participants who are concerned about near-term inflation risks causing a more rapid adjustment to policy rates. But what are the factors that support rates moving higher over the longer term? And is there a scenario you can imagine that would precipitate a less orderly adjustment of Fed policy in response to an inflation shock? Yeah, well, well, first of all, yeah, just just to reiterate, you know, our view is, yeah, in in the near term, you know, inflation pressure is going to, you know, very near term inflation pressure is going to remain quite, quite strong. Uh, but it's over the next sort of eighteen months that we that, that we're less concerned because we do see this this slack in the labour market, don't see this pressure on services inflation. But over the long term, if you think sort of five seven years out. I think the risks of of higher rates are are pretty significant. First of all, interest rates are still incredibly low. If you stand back and look at where we are today, even after the adjustment this year, we're still at at 1.6% on a 10-year yield. Um, If you look at real interest rates, depending on on how you measure them, minus 50 basis points to minus, minus 100 basis points. Now, the long run average, the average over the last 100 years in the US on real rates has been 2%. You know, we think a sensible sort of equilibrium real interest rate for the US is probably at least 1%, which if you add the inflation target, which is increasingly credible, you know, that, that gets you to 3% for a normalized, a normalized rate. So just going to back to equilibrium means we've got still got quite, quite some way to go on rates. And then on the inflation side, I think uh, despite what I've said about the sort of, you know, the sort of 18 month outlook, you know, longer term, I, I do see upward pressures uh, on inflation coming from, well, partly from the sort of political economy. I mean, the sense that increased concerns about inequality, uh, if that leads to policies which boost wages, you know, that could be uh, you know, a, a game changer over the long term, because it was really the, the lack of wage growth that was the main reason why inflation has been so uh, surprisingly low over the last you know, 10, 10, 20 years. Another factor is deglobalization, which is clearly already, uh, this isn't a risk, this is a reality, this is already happening. And we know the globalization trend did add to disinflation, and we see that we see that going, going into reverse. 
In terms of what could really upset the app, apple cart, though, to lead to a correction and, and, and a much faster increase in yields than we expect, I think you've got to watch inflation expectations. Now, in, we have seen uh, in the Michigan survey a, a big jump in inflation expectations uh, among consumers in, in April. You know, inflation's been all over the news, so it's not, it's not surprising. But at this point, they've only gone back up to 3%. And again, this is a sort of CPI-based measure. So you know, the level of inf- the inflation expectations have reached after this recent increase. You know, it's, it's probably, if, if they stay here, the Fed will wel- welcome that because that's consistent with their new average inflation targeting framework and this gap, as I mentioned, between CPI and PCE. So they'd be happy with, you know, two and a half, three percent inflation expectations. They wouldn't be happy with four percent, though. So if if this increase in inflation expectations gathers strength and and what we've seen on the consumer side recently is, is the delta has been pretty strong, as it hasn't been in the financial markets since the beginning of the year. You know, if they move up too far, you know, there, there is a tolerance zone for the Fed where they would need to signal they still have anti-inflation credibility. Now, I think they're an awful long, long way away from reaching that point. Uh, I think they're very focused on the labor market, as I've mentioned, but they're not completely indifferent to inflation expectations. And, you know, 4% on a medium term uh, outlook, I think, you know, would, would definitely be something that would un, that would unnerve them. You know, we're not we're not there yet, and I don't think we'll get there, but it's definitely a risk. And that, I think, would be quite disruptive. Finally, given the importance of the US Treasury's market to global financing conditions, what does all this mean for your view of the dollar and also critically for capital flows and financing conditions in emerging markets? There was something of a growing consensus through the second half of last year early early this year that you know that the dollar was on this inexorable weakening trend and that was something that sort of supported uh you know supported a, a lot of risk assets and, and helped emerging markets we never really bought into that view and, and our view uh in embedded in our last forecast is kind of sort of a, a kind of stable outlook for the dollar in, in broad terms um, and indeed, it's not been strengthening in the last several weeks, if anything, because uh, activity surprises have probably been a little bit positive uh, in, in the Eurozone than, than in the US. I think a critical factor in the dollar is sort of the two to three year outlook for interest rates. So on our on our Fed view, probably, again, it wouldn't really make sense for us to have a, a sort of bullish dollar view. But there's definitely a very credible scenario out there. It's not a base case. It's definitely a credible scenario out there where we get even more U.S. fiscal stimulus unveiled, stronger growth in 2022, even more positive output gap for the U.S. Uh, n- opening up next year, more inflation pressure, and that and that does lead to uh, the Fed to taper more uh, more quickly. The Fed starts signaling rates may go up in 2023. At the moment, they're not signaling rates going up until 2024. It's a big disconnect from where the market is, but uh, you know that could come to pass. And and in that scenario. You know, the, the U.S. is really looking like it's on its own path in terms of growth and monetary policy normalization. We'll be in a very different position to the rest of the world. And that could then start to feed into a stronger dollar, which, as, as we know, would, would be you know, clearly negative for emerging market financing conditions. So not our base case, but definitely, definitely a risk and, and something to watch, I think. Thanks for those insights, Brian. And thank you for listening. You can access the report we've been discussing titled U.S. yields to rise further in the medium term, along with our other sovereign and economics research on Fitch's website. We hope you join us for the next edition of Fixed Interests.